So here we are, first episode after the Screw CBS problem. Hashtag Screw CBS. Uh, hopefully we won't get hit for the intro as well. I'm kind of... You know, we'll see about that one. I'd really hate to have to come up with a new intro as well, since I feel the intro be showcasing I, what I feel to be the best character moments from the season of the show that is relevant to the actual... I just think it would be good to keep it. We'll see if CBS allows me to keep it. Yes, I'm still bitter. The original ending of this episode was actually fairly different, at least in tone. It's the same general concept. Uh, Joe Minoski and Brennan Braga both worked on this episode, again. Uh, but this was primarily a Joe Minoski episode, and it really shows. We'll talk more about why in a bit. But Minoski really, the original ending, he found it much superior. And I'm going to talk about that more at the end when we actually get to the ending. But I mentioned it here because it's basically like all of the interviews about this episode that I read... In, in my magazines, were all about Joe Minoski being like, oh my god, it changed the ending, and nobody would talk about anything else. Uh, it was a little silly, actually. So, whatever. So, you could tell this is a Joe Minoski script because the premise is really, really stupid. There's a character who was a crew member who was known uh, by the members of the crew for months that we've never seen before and will never see again, uh, who died, and all records of her were erased, and everyone is pretending she never existed. That, that's, that's the premise. Uh, sorry for spoiling it, by the way, but, I mean, you walk into these expecting spoilers, right? Right? I hope so, because the entire first act of the of this episode is all about the mystery building up to that reveal. I just blurted it out in ten seconds. Um, I gotta admit, this, I, I, this is just such a dumb premise, but I like it. I like it because they do something with it. Uh, I'm going to be building up to my final point in this one. I've got a little bracket there for my actual final point, so we'll get to that. But I do want to say this. This could have been really easily fixed with one tiny change. Change it from Ensign, I don't even remember her name, to Joseph Carey. Now I am expecting most of you to be like, who? And some of you to be like, Google. I'll go ahead and tell you. He was the uh, semi-recurring engineer who was in the early part of the season and actually will be seen on the show after this point in time. Uh, in in uh, season seven, actually. Uh, in the episode... Uh, Oh, I can't think of the name of it, actually. I'm sure some of you know the episode I'm talking about. But yeah, why not just have it be Joseph Carey? It would even make a, a wonderful amount of out-of-character sense, because he's a character who was a semi-regular who then just kind of vanished, and we didn't really see him again after that point, and this would explain why. Uh, another character you could probably use in similar vein would be Ensign Vorak, a.k.a. Uh, Jerry Taylor's son, the Vulcan gentleman who tried really, really hard to get it on with Bellana. Another semi-recurring character that just kind of fell off the bat. You don't need to invent someone new, and it's not like you couldn't get them back. I mean, Joseph Carey, again, will be in the show in the future, so eh, whatever. So, just a few notes. There's a lot of little details in this episode I really like. The hollow imager is a good example. It's the kind of tool that is useful and awesome and great for diagnosis, and it really indicative of the kind of medical technology Star Trek has and will never be seen or heard from again. That I'm, that I'm aware of, I'm pretty sure. That's pretty typical, actually, for uh, for Star Trek. Remember the uh, the holographic communicator that was in Deep Space Nine for like two episodes. Another good example of an extremely useful technology that would be, have tons of real life applications that is never seen again. <laughs> Although in that case, that was a uh, budget and special effects issue. 
So yeah, uh, I also want to say once again, uh, more praise for Naomi Watson's uh, actress, the, the, the woman who plays her, or the girl who plays her, rather. Uh, good job on that, really. She still manages to hit that unique blend of childlike without being childish, and that's awesome. And I just felt like mentioning it, uh, again, as one of those weird people who likes her inclusion into the show. Really good effect, special effects on the Kim projection, too. Not just the projection in general, but the, the layering in. They did a really nice job of that, and I wanted to give them props for that. They do this as well later with Janeway. So really huge props to the special effects department for both of those. Um, I, I want to comment on how kind of silly it is in Star Trek to just delete stuff, right? But then you could see exactly what was deleted. Like, there's a literal hole in, in, the, in the file structure where the files are deleted... And then you can, like, restore deleted data, but only partially. This is true across all of Star Trek. This episode is no exception to that. I just found it funny because most of the plot hinges on that ability to be like, oh, let's restore this stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, now, uh, I mentioned here that Janeway has a reaction to the situation, which is severe. <laughs> this is a woman who dies, one of her crew members dies, and shortly thereafter, to save another crew member, she's, she orders everyone to, well, I mean, other people apparently agree with it, given Tom's reaction at least, but everyone just is basically like, no, we're never going to mention her ever, ever again. We're going to erase her from reality. Which goes back to that stupid premise thing I mentioned earlier. Um, I also like the, the irony of the fact that the doctor gives this thing, oh my god, the entire crew's memories must have been erased from this attack. We are in imminent danger. I like that, because in most circumstances, that would be wild paranoia. But this is Star Trek. That exact thing has happened on TNG, specifically. Remember that episode? Where they're like, oh my god, and everything's the norm, but everything's advanced like a day. That's very strange. I wonder why. Oh, well. You remember that episode? Which also had some logical flaws. Good episode, though. Um, there's, like I said, little touches. Um... There's a scene where Janeway stands up for her decision to the doctor, saying, no, I'm wiping your memory, go away. And she plays the hard line, completely shuts him out, doesn't let him get into histrionics, just says, no, this is a decision, move on. And then it's not until he leaves that she just kind of goes, she slumps a little bit, and she's like, Ugh. and just, she gives this sigh. It was really well done, showcasing how much she herself is still torn up about this decision, even 18 months later. I also like the fact that there's this little dish that he puts the uh, mobile emitter on. It's a nice little thing with a little padding on it. I like it because it's a little touch. I mean, how many of you have little things uh, where you put things that matter to you? You know, your keys to your car, for example. I know some people just toss them wherever. But some people, they think, well, this is important, so I want to put it exactly here. So I, not only do I know where it is, but so it's kept safe. It's a surprisingly small human touch, uh, ironically, which I find to be a nice uh, little thing. There was one other uh, touch... That I wanted to mention. Uh, oh, it looks like I actually forgot to write it down. Oh, well, whatever. I also like the the build-up. The first act. It, this is effectively a two-act set. Uh, even though you, Star Trek usually is in a three- to five-act format. Uh, determined by leg cramps. Ow. Determined by uh, commercial breaks, actually. Uh... But in this case, I feel this is definitively a two-act structured story. The first act is the mystery, the build-up. Oh my gosh, what happened and why? And this is thing, but oh my god, Jane was in on it, but something happened. Oh no. And this whole time you're just thinking, what, what, what? And the mystery just builds and builds and builds until we learn the truth. 
And the initial reaction to the truth is something along the lines of, well, who cares? until we see the very next scene, which is the consequence of the truth. And then we see the doctor in the present have the same exact breakdown, just And then we begin the second act, which I'll talk more about at the end of this. Nice construction. Uh, both halves of this episode, I feel, are really good. I really like this episode, if that's not obvious, uh, which I feel bad because I don't feel like I'm going to have a lot to talk about on this one, but that's normal. Hey, here's a great episode! Okay, moving on, you know. Uh, I like the fact that Seven admits to Janeway that she uh, has been looking up to her. She's been using her as a guide, not just to her humanity, but her sense of ethics and, 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 and function. Um, I like that not because it shows the way that their relationship has grown. The fact that Seven is willing to admit something that her pride would normally not allow her to do showcases how serious she takes the situation, and that is why I like that moment. Because she is telling Janeway in her own subtle way, this is me getting real. This needs to be dealt with. And fortunately, it does work. It does actually get through to Janeway, because I think Janeway picked up on that. I also have to say that the weapon those aliens use is disgustingly screwed up. I mean, we've seen some messed up weapons in Star Trek. You remember the, uh... Oh, I can't think of it. The Disruptor that the what, the Collector, Taj Faro, or whatever his name was, had, which burns you alive from the inside out? That was messed up. And then there's the weapon that disintegrates you, except it's a laser weapon that somehow burns away your skin and then your bones, which is just disturbing. But then this thing, this thing's just insidious. It hits you, and it leaves an electrical charge in your nervous system, whose entire purpose is to basically continue to expand until it kills you from, from nerve damage. Um, that's just messed up. Look, I, I, I find myself... I mean, of course, no thought was put into any of this because most of the people who work in Voyager wouldn't know world building if it came up and smacked them in the face. But as a world builder, I look at that and I think, what kind of culture develops a weapon like that? What kind of organization? What kind of people make a weapon whose only purpose is to probably kill you and then definitely kill you later on? How many... I mean, just... Wow! That's just messed up. Um, there's a line that Tom says to the doctor in the past, in the flashback. You know, the doctor's like, I can't do this. And, they, and you can hear the dilemma in the doctor's voice. They both have equal chance of working. I don't have time to do it both. It's too complicated to talk to you through it. And Tom, who is a person who is very much a man of action and who knows what he's doing and has been in the hard choice situation before. I mean, he is a Starfleet officer and he's lived in the Maquis and he's lived on Voyager. So he's well accustomed to this idea. He turns to him and he says, and I quote, make a choice before we lose them both. I've said this before, especially with regards to Voyager. That is what being a leader means. It means making the hard choices and having to live with the fact that you ordered someone to their death. Deliberately, intentionally, directly, or indirectly. And it sucks. And that is, in fact, the exact dilemma that is facing the Doctor. Tom, as someone who's faced this, he can handle that. He can say, save Harry. And then he'll have to live with the consequences of that choice. The Doctor, of course, has nothing to help him deal with that decision. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, as usual, Robert Cardo does an amazing job in this episode. He portrays the caution, the paranoia, the, uh, you know, the, the, the gravity, gravity of the situation, the, the feeling of a man being led to his own execution, and finally, the complete psychopathic mental breakdown multiple times, actually. And he portrays it brilliantly. 
too many times someone who's portraying someone who has just lost it will um will will portray them in a way that's basically like a cartoon to 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 put it as nicely as I can. Robert Picardo does it very on on the nose. He literally talks himself in circles. And as he does it, he, he, he does something really subtle. Watch the episode again, you'll see it. Obviously, I won't be showing a clip at the end because hashtag screw CBS. But if you watch the episode again, um, he mimics his own movements, the things he's doing as he's going through the cycle. Show a visual indicator that you're not even really supposed to be paying attention to that shows that he is just... And it's just looping and looping. Um... I also like this wonderful, wonderful quote here from Janeway. We gave him a soul. We allowed him to grow a soul. It would be more accurate, but whatever. Do we have the right to take it away? And, and of course, Taurus's response is, no, he's just a hologram scrum. But I like that quote because it's pretty much exactly why droids get regular memory wipes over in Star Wars. Because once you start that down that path, forever will it dominate your destiny. And this sounds like a joke, but it really isn't. Once you start giving droids rights, you can't really stop that without being worse than you were when you were denying them rights. It's one of the reasons why, I, despite the fact that I am a, a bit of a droid activist in Star Wars uh, and in, of, of different types of life in general across most of fiction, I admit that it is not exactly a binary, flat, linear situation. Which brings me to the big point that I've been building up to. The Doctor is literally in a feedback loop because, see, think about this for a moment. What is triage? Well, for those of you who don't actually know, uh, triage is, okay, you've got these injured patients. You have to determine which order you treat them in, okay? How, yeah, it's, it's prioritizing. You generally accepted triage is prioritizing based on either severity or chance of success. So if you've got five people, and this guy's near death, but you can save him, and these guys are fine, you focus on this guy first. Save him, then work on the less severe cases. If, on the other hand, these five people, these four people, are also on the verge of death, so all five of them are on the verge of death, then you focus on which ones have the highest chance of saving, which would be these four, most likely letting this one die, or even the uh, multiple of them die. That is triage. Triage is cold calculus in the medical arena, as opposed to the military and tactical arena. It is quite literally the opposite of ethics or morality, just like the cold calculus of strategy is. It has nothing to do with right or wrong. It only has to do with calculated variables and nothing else. It is therefore brilliantly logical to me that the feedback loop, the argument, if you will, that happens within the doctor's programming happens between his ethical subroutines and his triage subroutines. Because the triage doesn't give a damn about anything. So, eh, okay. Pick one. Flip a coin, as he himself says. Because it calculated their chances of survival to be equal. The ethical subroutine says, well, that's not, that's not how that works. You know, this, this is, there's humanity, there's decency involved. And then there's the tiny tidbit, and I love this. This is one of the few times Voyager pulls off subtle. He only mentions it once in the whole episode, that he picked Harry... It's actually mentioned twice, if we're being 100% honest. He mentions how he hasn't seen her in months, because she's not in the uh, sick bay often, so he doesn't know her that well. And then he mentions flat out later on that he picked Harry because he knew Harry better. And therein lies the feedback loop. The triage tells him, well, that's fine. They were equal chance, so the deciding factor was which one you knew better. Logical, cold, 
over into the ethical subroutine, which is like, I picked my friend over a stranger. And that is not ethically sound by most, by most concepts of ethics. That is actually a very selfish decision to make. But then it loops back to the triage. Well, they were both going to die if I didn't do anything. I had to pick someone. So I needed some variable, which loops back to the ethics and says, the variable being your own self-aggrandizement, you get where I'm going with this. It's very easy and understandable to see how this happened in this episode. Which brings me to the overall point. Yes, I'm still building up to it. This episode does actually fumble a little bit because the episode tries to be, at several points, about the measure of a man thing all over again. Yes, again. Keeping in mind Voyager itself has done the measure of a man thing more than once and better than this. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I am referring to the idea of, well, he is a sentient individual, a sapient individual, therefore he has the rights and privileges of a sentient sapient individual. Now, if I can be completely blunt, I don't think that's really the issue here. I don't. I am, in fact, frankly astonished that Janeway in Season 5 still has some bias or prejudice against the Doctor when it's already been well established as early as Season 2 and late Season 1 that the Doctor is a frickin' person. Uh, by the way, I got into a little bit of a thing on the stream recently about this, so to clarify my statement briefly, when I say person, I mean a sentient sapient being. Not a human. Not, an, not a man or a woman or whatever. Not a fleshy prison person. A being, okay? That's, that's my terminology. That's how I've always used it. That's how I will continue to use it. Just making that clear. So in other words, we've already well established the Doctor as a person. I mean, that was part of Kess's arc, for God's sakes. You remember her? <laughs> so why bring this up again? I find it irritating, too, because, again, that is a pale imitation of the actual Measure of Man issue, which will be brought up again in the future, by the way. And then completely... is completely irrelevant compared to the real issue here. And this is the real issue. Yes, I'm finally getting to it. The Doctor is not human, and that's the point. See, the Measure of a Man was actually an easy answer. I know that sounds weird, but it was. Data was a person. That was the Measure of a Man issue. Does a sentient, sapient being deserve the rights of an individual? Um, I forget the name of the episode, but there's a later a TNG episode, which then deals with the consequences of that decision and, and goes forward with that decision and handles that as well. But this episode takes it and goes in a different direction with it, and I love it because this is probably the only Star Trek episode that really goes in this direction with it. All right, you're a person. You're an individual. We recognize this right, but you don't work the same way we do. You don't respond to stimuli the same way we do because you are different. You are not human. You're not Bolian. You're not Vulcan. You are a hologram. You are a new life form that reacts differently. We cannot use the same procedures and protocols that we do with other people that we do with you. We can't do it. You are too different. Remember that loop I mentioned earlier? Now, this loop can happen to a, to a normal person. It can happen to a human. There are people who have gone insane because of loops like that. World War Z, I know I keep referencing it. Um, there's, a, there's a thing with the gentleman, oh, God, I can't think of his name, but, you know, the, the disgusting, deplorable plan he wrote in order to deal with the, 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 the onslaught. That was, that he, whoo, because of that kind of a loop that happened in his mind. But in the case of the doctor, that loop is basically a guarantee because it's programming that is designed to do it. Whereas a person is a whole bunch of, is a whole mess of chemicals and electrical signals that may or may not do that based on the individual. But the doctor, 100% repeatable, will do that because of the way he is programmed, because he was designed. You with me? Not saying he's not a person, 
Not saying he doesn't get rights. I'm saying we can't approach this like we do with other people. And I love the fact that this episode does not answer the question. What do you do? Do you let this person suffer under what is effectively a mental illness that you have the power to fix to preserve their right to know the truth and whatnot? Or do you reprogram them, fix the imbalance by erasing part of their memory and as a part result of that part of their personality in order to help them for their own good? Neither of these answers are good. Neither of these answers are ethically correct. Not really. It's a very rare example that Voyager especially, but Star Trek in general, pulls off an actual gray decision where there is no clear and definitive this is what should happen. And I think that's one of the things I really like about this episode. Because what would you do? And again, the great irony is this is the same choice the Doctor himself had. There was no correct answer between her and him. There wasn't. There was which person do you save, and no matter what you do, the other one dies. I think that's a wonderfully complex issue that could be debated for a long time. I think there's a lot of potential in that. It's almost a shame they never really bring it up again. But I will give the, cr the credits to the episode in both endings that were designed, the original by Joe Minoski and the rewrite by Braga, which we actually see in the episode. The solution is not presented, if you know what I mean. They never. I mean, yes, I know this is Voyager, so bam, reset button at the end of the episode. <sighs> Whatever. At this point, I just got to sh shake my head at it. But it's, there's no, like, they don't fix it in the episode. The Doctor is not fixed in the episode. There is no... They don't even... It's not presented as the right choice, you know what I mean? And we are left to decide what we think would be best in that circumstance. It is entirely possible that after this episode they go back and reprogram him to fix him. It is also possible that thanks to additional external input that, that affects the way his programming calculates, he finally manages to break the feedback loop. That's my personal interpretation, by the way. But both interpretations are valid. We're left to decide. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this one. Um, I, uh, I guess that's it, actually. That's all I got to talk about. Good episode. Very good episode. Nice, nice topic. Nice discussion. Good stuff. Uh, I will be seeing you guys next week, of course, uh, with, with hair, naturally. Hashtag ScrewCBS. See you around, guys.